today, as always, is my lifelong friend and co-host, Dylan. I'm ready to talk some fantasy with my friend, Charles. I am ready to talk some fantasy with my friend as well, Dylan, but not just any fantasy today. Because oh. today, we are starting a new book, new author from our Friends Pitching Fantasy series. This was one of the books I pitched to you, the book that you selected, and it is none other than The Black Tongue Thief by Christopher Buhlman. Yeah, I could not resist the chance to read about another rogue character, another thief. Everyone knows I'm a huge fan of The Lies of Locke Lamora by Scott Lynch, uh, Among Thieves by M.J. Kuhn, and, and many more awesome roguelike protagonists. And we've got another awesome one here in Kinch from The Black Tongue Thief by Christopher Buhlman. I'm super excited to get into this one with you, Charles, and I'm uh, I'm really satisfied with my choice Mm -hmm. from your friends pitching fantasy books. I mean, pitched three great ones, but I have no regrets. You know, I'm really excited to get into this too, Dylan. It's funny. I had picked two what I would have considered palate cleanser books for us, and then this one, which was like perfectly to form for us we get it recommended to us all the time people like guys if you're talking about these books you have to read the black tongue thief and i'm looking at the back of this book and i couldn't think of a better assembly of authors to get my interest than the authors that i'm seeing in the like blurb section of the jacket of this book i mean we're seeing for fans of Jabra Crombie and Nicholas Eames, I'm seeing Glenn Cook, Brent Weeks, I'm seeing Robin Hobb, and then the author credits George R. R. Martin, Tolkien, Patrick Rothfuss, and Abercrombie as inf- the only four authors he mentions and thanks in his afterword. So it's like, oh my goodness, this is like the perfect mix for us, it seems. And I'm surprised it's taken us this long to read it. But here we are. I was very excited to get into it. And now I'm I'm very eager to talk about it. Yeah, we haven't gotten to talk at all, you and I, about this book. No, I wasn't even sure. I, mean, it. For, I know. It's always nice when we, <laughs> when we really go in blind here. And I'm, I'm pumped. I mean, like you said, Charles, he's name dropping folks like Joe Abercrombie and Pat Rolfes who were gigantic fans of obviously we've had Joe on the show to talk mm. to he's uh this also gets compared all the time to I, I think you mentioned it Kings of the Wild by mm. Nicholas Eames which mm. is another book that you know f- uh, finds that really interesting middle ground between like a fantasy story that has you know, it takes itself seriously in terms of the story and its stakes. It's not just like, uh, you know, joke after joke after joke. It's a real story you're supposed to care about the drama of, but like doesn't take itself too seriously. Whereas like you're not supposed to be laughing and having a good time throughout. Right. So it, yeah, it's, it's a really interesting place. It's kind of interesting if it's something you would call a grimdark novel or not that might be an interesting topic to dive into at some Mm. point Uh, but it 
it certainly has some of those elements that makes you understand where the Joe Abercrombie uh, inspiration comes from. And uh, obviously, such an incredible book and really on the cutting edge here. And it was published in 2021. So, I mean, now it is 2023, which is kind of hard to believe, but still quite recent. <laughs> I know it has. It's, we're still fresh into 2023, but it does feel like it's been a while since this book has been out only because of how much we have seen it in the conversation. And yeah, I'm I'm super excited to get into it. I guess we should just start talking about this book. Let's not delay any longer. But first, we need to do a uh, one of your famous spoiler warnings. Yeah, this one's pretty straightforward because it's the first book in this world by Christopher Buhlman. If you haven't yet read The Black Tongue Thief by Christopher Buhlman, then now's a good time to turn this down in your headphones if you don't want to have anything spoiled for you because we're going to have a no-holds-barred conversation about this novel. Well said, Dylan. So let's go ahead and get into this book, The Black Tongue Thief. I think it's time for some uh, carkery and shite jokes now. What do you say? (laughs) (laughs) Can we say shite? I think so. (laughs) (laughs) As long as we don't hit that hard uh sound on (laughs) our family-friendly show, we can say shite. So, Mm. I mean, yeah, it's Time for some shite talk, but this book was anything but shite. It was an awesome novel. And you know what was also anything but shite? Christopher Buhlman doing the narration of his own book for the audiobook. So, Charles, I think both both you and I switched back and forth between reading the physical and the audio. I I already had a copy Mm -hmm. of the physical book, but... I had people up in our Twitter mentions saying like, hey, this is the best narration of the year that it was published. And I was like, oh, that's awesome. You know, we love audiobooks. I'll have to check that out. And to my surprise, when I looked at who the narrator was, (laughs) you might have thought it was a mistake that they actually put the author, but it was no mistake. Christopher Buhlman himself does the narration for this story. And Charles, it is incredible. And like, what are the chances that a guy has such a gift for both writing and narrating the audiobook? Because I know we, like, whenever I see it's like, oh, the author's reading his own book or their own book, I am like uh, a little hesitant. I'm a little concerned because what are the chances they have both of those skill sets? But Buhlman knocked it out of the park. Right. And that surprised me. You know, I was doing some research on Christopher Buhlman, and it's like, oh, he's an author, comedian, screenwriter. He's his experience in the theater. He writes horror books. He, and this is his first fantasy book. So it's like, okay, this guy, can he really do it all? And then I'm listening to the audiobook, and, you know, 10 seconds in, it's like written and narrated by Christopher Buhlman. I had no idea. I was like, for real? And then he goes into this performance with this accent i don't even know how you would describe it it's almost like scottish english yeah i was thinking kind of scottish would be the closest and at first i'm like man he's like really committing 
to the accent thing. I don't know, like, how long I can, you know, go with this for. But he totally won me over. And I found myself missing it when it was over. It was truly rare that, one, you get to hear an author perform their own work. But, two, that they really swing for the fences, as they say, and actually delivered a genuine, bona fide performance out of it. It was very... the almost thespian in nature. And did you know that Christopher Buhlman goes to Renaissance fairs like around the country and is like, he insults people. He's like a Renaissance guy that people pay to have like him a insult jester? them. I don't think, I think it's more like a roaster. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah. And I was like, that kind of makes sense. We got to get him in a room. With, if he hasn't already been in a room with Christian Cameron, who goes by miles Cameron when he writes fantasy, Another incredible author, author of The Red Knight, Artifact Space, and many more. These two are both, uh, I mean, I don't know how to say it without basically making a pun about it, but Renaissance men. Yes, um, Christopher Buhlman literally so by you know, yes. all these Renaissance fairs. So you get a lot of that kind of diverse background and many talents kind of incorporated into your fantasy novel and it starts with the vocal performance of of kinch nishannon in uh in this audiobook and yeah highly recommend checking out the audiobook as well um something we probably should have said before the spoiler warning but still relevant to right now it was really i mean we've read um Patrick Rothfuss narrates Slow Regard of Silent Things, and that was fun. Um, and then we got to listen to Joe Crombie do a short story in Sharp Ends, which was fun. Yeah, Buhlman's but, two inspirations right there. <laughs> Buhlman's two inspirations, that's true. Uh, I still I haven't heard he George does, uh, do anything yet, but <laughs> no. uh, uh, maybe one day. Yeah. Still waiting on Tolkien as well to there break into the audio. There might be recordings of him with... reading excerpts, like in <laughs> lectures or something, but not like proper sure. audiobook. I don't think audiobooks <laughs> were a thing in those days. No, I don't think so. But yeah, I think he he surpasses his inspirations in terms of his ability as a narrator by uh, quite a bit. There's a reason that uh, Abercrombie has Pacey doing his work, who's uh, incredible and uh, uh rothman has nick podell doing his work so mm-hmm. yeah it's scary when you think okay the main installment is going to be done by the author but again buhlman knocked out the park so well, it so. benefits from the like the way the story is told is this first person storytelling style narration right mm-hmm. he's talking to the the reader or in the case of the audiobook the listener directly and telling his story you know he'll even have asides where he'll say like oh yeah and if this didn't happen then i wouldn't be here and you wouldn't be here in this story right so and it's like if you haven't madly in love i pity you you know like that kind of stuff <laughs> like he'll just oh, it's so good he'll just like break that fourth wall every once in a while almost like uh the chorus of a play or something i don't know my play words very well but like something in a play that does that <laughs> and um it, it works and it also fits um you have kinch nashanik the main character who is yeah. kind of like uh uh like whimsical but crass individual 
And that kind of comes across in the performance as well, which not an easy thing to convey. And heart as well. And I, and I think, well, you know, when we start to get into the themes of this book, I think that's an important thing we kind of revisit is just how both his performance and his, um, you know, voice as an author, that comes across so much. Like, Kinch is a character who's having fun, telling grass jokes, making snippets, but lives in a very grim, dark world. And somehow mm-hmm. you manage to find heart in that somewhere and, and i think that's kind of the magic of this book and in those of his performance and his voice definitely charles i think that this this sits firmly with some of these books i've been coming out really in the in the 2020s i would say where they exactly what you're bringing up this grim dark world in which the author is unafraid to be uncynical with the approach of the characters and their triumphs and their actual willingness to be optimistic about things and not just have it beat the crap out of them immediately. It's like these abilities to eke out these little victories. And I I would say that after all of the crap that Kinch went through, Kinch and his crew, it is a pretty optimistic ending. It is a, I would say a like mostly happy ending. Even the worst thing that happens, I would say is that like Norgal dies, but also kind of doesn't die because she was dead legs the whole time. So even that Mm -hmm. it's like, okay, really the way things ended, like they accomplished their goal and none of them really died died like dead forever died Mm -hmm. so i mean unless you count malk uh r.i.p malk (laughs) you uh, gotta get to because that was such an awesome scene (laughs) i was like i don't know that might be the most memorable scene from the book for me when he dies uh when he dies Mm -hmm. the like tug of war scene yeah right oh my god and just like the kind of throw away crazy nature of that moment too which is like okay you survive krakens and mm-hmm. goblin ships just and the to, duel to the death yeah, and the then the guy who's the trying who is trying to kill you is like tugging on your boot to try to keep you alive and you just like a character that ended up pretty much a like i, I don't know main character but you know like a main part of the crew yeah like part of the fellowship principal secondary character part of the fellowship it's like he dies just like completely needlessly in like this stupid tug of war that like between him and a goblin and it's like and he gets eaten alive it's like i think does a really good job like buhlman is very patient with that like he builds malk as a character and almost there seems to be some redemption happening for him and then it's just like oh nope he just dies like that because this is the world that we're living in right and just like what a brutal scene is so good though like right the willingness to to go that way and have that sort of death that like is pointless but that's the point 
<laughs> exactly. I mean, imagine like uh, someone like uh, Vegeta or like uh, um, what's his face from Avatar? Because, you know, I have to bring up Avatar every episode now. Avatar The Last Airbender yes, or Avatar Air Vegeta? Zuko. Cameron Zuko. Zuko. <laughs> it's like Vegeta. You know, life is <laughs> like an episode of Avatar. <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> it's like Vegeta it for or you, Zuko, but, but instead of like being redeemed and making it to the end, it's like they start to get redeemed and you're getting in interested and invested and then they just die needlessly and horrifically (laughs) in a pointless dispute that everyone could have just walked away from and you're like what whoa what is this that we're dealing with right now and it's it's all part of the lore of this book and i think we can get into what i think is one of the main themes of this book now which is like look life can be like a unforgiving miserable flipping place and you just have to find happiness where you can you have to kind of live for these moments that are like making life worth living and 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 embrace those and chase after those and i think you get that when he's you know kinch like reflects on his relationship with um what's his face uh malk right and yeah is kind of almost like willing to forgive him even though they did have a fight to the death even though he was almost killed a bunch of times and Malk called him out on being a coward for avoiding the goblin wars and this and that they still managed to form sort of a friendship and Kinch was like enjoying the memories that he has and works him into his own warped sense of humor as he continues to cope with this insane world that he lives in and he makes it work, and even though it looks like the cards are stacked against him at many times, he finds a way, both literally and metaphorically, because he's good at the card game, too. <laughs> yes, he is good at the card game for all the good it did him, and the uh, uh, mm. end up going rough for him anyway, despite his ability and luck. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, a- along that theme that you bring up, Charles, I think... There's the moment toward the end of the book, and and Buhlman does an incredible job of building up like how, I guess, important a part of the world and its ethos, this idea of horses being gone and how the goblins supposedly uh, like killed all the horses or got rid of all the horses. And Mm -hmm. that's one of the reasons that they hate them. Of course, it was just the guild hoarding the horses, but... Uh, either way, uh, you've you've got that as a key part of the story throughout, and then finally, when they're able to like get these horses at, horses out from like the way that they're magically stored inside the giant, uh, <laughs> there's this moment where Kinja's looking at him and he goes, "A horse, a real and actual horse, I had brought back into the world under my own hand. If I died the very next day." And it didn't seem unlikely. I'd done something, hadn't I? And yeah. I wish I could do that in the Buellman uh, Scottish accent, but I won't. Uh, I won't <laughs> even try because I'll shame myself. But it, yeah, that's to me. Those kind of moments are the key ones that establish what the theme is here, which is like, you know, okay, I could easily die the next day. This is such a messed up world, but wow, like my life has been meaningful if for nothing else than like this contribution I've made. And I think 
all the characters or a lot of the characters anyway are finding ways to to make their lives meaningful and to try to eke out those small victories like we've been talking about it's absolutely true and he also manages to find love he also manages to make this unlikely friendship with galva it even reminds me of when they're in locked up on the goblin ship which is one of the tougher scenes to read Uh, there's two scenes in this book that i would say are tough to read and that's the first one where you know the goblin's getting ready to cook up the first guy and the rest of them are just trying to like avoid the horror that's playing out right in front of them of a guy getting butchered alive to be eaten by goblins and they just you know look at each other and and sing songs and Mm -hmm. try and um come together and even the guy who was getting killed was able to sing a little bit and then i believe they mentioned that the goblin like hit him in the head and that killed him or something so he didn't have to get like like yeah. butchered alive but i mean I, I think that's what happened and so you're like okay there's these little victories there's these little moments of survival and compassion and camaraderie that come through even in these flipping dark dark moments that this book takes you through and i at the end of this i'm having a hard time saying it's like a fully grim dark novel and i know we talked about this mm-hmm. as a conversation point of like even when you have a book where like kinch loses constantly and the odds are constantly stacked against him he maintains his optimism and his sense of humor and his like he's open to love because like he they get kinch gets married to norigal after the goblin thing so he's a moon wife charles yes moon wife for a month for a month and he's making it work and and i really like that and and to me, I would consider I would almost consider this book like an odyssey, if you will. It, it reads like one where you're going through all these different adventures and and you're taking to all these different scenes, a witch's castle, a whaling ship, a goblin prison, uh, you know, all of these places you're being taken and I'm in a mountain with giants and all this other crazy stuff and through it all you've got the uh, kinch nishanik at the at the center of it and it i it's dark and it's and it's horrific at times but it never stops being fun and it never stops being hopeful and that's what i think makes me enjoy the book so much that's really well said charles yeah i i totally agree it it seems like it's it's got that I don't know if I exactly want to compare it to John Gwynn's work, like John Gwynn's The Shadow of the Gods, because I think there's a lot of things that are very different about their writing styles and all that. But this idea of being willing to to put that, like, hopefulness and that more heartwarming stuff in the middle of a place that is so, so dreary and grimdark in its feel. Um, But I'll say... The quote that most defines the Black Tongue Thief for me uh, and really delivers because there's all these times throughout the book where uh, Kinch 
like pisses or craps himself or will <laughs> sometimes he literally does yes. which you almost never see from a protagonist in a fantasy novel you see it all the time from other characters but <laughs> very rarely like rare took me by surprise for different reasons <laughs> <laughs> yeah fair but you know what i'm saying like right, it's yes. very rare even in the grim dark novels even the times where we're trying to be realistic trying to be realistic about these things charles oh, great. even in those times you very rarely have like the main characters pissing themselves and it kind of took me by surprise a little bit the first time, but then when it happens multiple times, I'm like, wow, this is like, this is really a thing. Yeah. And then like part of what makes it like weirdly foreshadowing sort of, <laughs> or at least a moment that builds to something that like delivers extremely well is uh, there's this quote, cause he's talking about like, oh, I was so scared is right at the end. Like I was so scared. I thought I might piss myself. And he says, uh, but the difference between the strong and the weak, isn't that the strong don't piss themselves. <laughs> it's that they hitch their pissy pants up after and go through with it. Right. And it's like, <laughs> that is kinch. And I think like the themes of this book in a nutshell is like, uh, Oh yeah. It's almost like a more like, funny and uh, crass way of putting the whole classic you see this quote in one way or another in like every fantasy book now but it's a classic like ned stark saying to bran like that's the only time that a man can be brave is when he's scared bran like (laughs) that's the only time a man can show courage (laughs) and it's like the buellman way and the kinch way of putting it is like uh, it's not about not pissing yourself it's about once you piss yourself, get on and do the thing that you're scared hike of. Those and pissy pants up. Hike yeah. those pissy <laughs> pants up. <laughs> and yeah. you've nailed what makes this book so special, and that's Christopher Buhlman's voice. Like the way he can turn a phrase and address the audience and flip a narrative and keep the story moving and entertaining at all times is absolutely incredible i we could open this book to any page like i'm gonna open it somewhere random and you could almost be guaranteed to find something flipping hilarious and it's uh here i just open to a random page i'm just gonna pick a random line truth be told it was too easy stealing here people were so cowstruck watching souls quit their bodies they were like simpletons so i challenged myself to do something harder i started talking stalking a merchant's fancy boy for his gold boot anklet trying to work out how to kneel down without being noticed but then they led the killer onto the gibbet and my breath caught in my throat it's like the way he's able to tell a story he could have just said and then i watched like a guy approach the i watched someone i knew approach the you know guillotine or whatever but what happens instead is he's like oh i'm in the middle of thieving and there are all these uh uh cowstruck watching souls it's like what like every sentence is who thinks of saying so rich with these things where it's like constant are you like a renaissance poet where do you but then he's also in a very modern crude way of speaking too so he kind of combines the two and it's poetry it really is charles it's like i i don't even know what to compare his voice to because 
it's, you know, this book gets a lot of comparisons, we've said, to Kings of the Wild. It gets comparisons to Lies of Locke Lamora. And both of those books are hilarious in their own ways. But all of them are unique from each other, like Buhlman's voice, from Eames's voice, from Lynch's voice. It's like, uh, I don't know. I It's so unique the way that mm-hmm. uh, Buhlman writes. It's kind of, I'm curious to see, you know, he's this well-established horror author. Mm-hmm. Like before he ever got into, this is first fantasy book. And based on at least the number of Goodreads ratings, it's... Uh, quickly become his most popular book Mm -hmm. but his horror books are lauded like people love them who read more of that genre it made me want to read uh, between two fires between two that was a good one and i'm like i gotta read more of this man and i would agree dylan because even the back of the book says begin the journey of a lifetime interesting in this luminous and irreverent fantasy for fans of nicholas eames kings of the wild and job Crombie's the blade itself I think it's interesting to invoke Kings of the Wild and the Blade itself because Abercrombie has this way of turning a phrase also and being cynical but also funny like um, Christopher Buhlman is. But I don't know, for whatever reason, Christopher Buhlman, I just picture like on a stage trying to entertain me when I hear the audiobook. You know, like I really feel like he's performing and putting his heart out there whereas Abercrombie I definitely feel is more just like in the clever written word you know I don't see him kind of like performance uh, uh, at any level I don't know it's just the way that and then the commitment that uh, Christopher Buhlman has to sticking with that witticism like Abercrombie will write battles and politics and bribery and this and that but this book by sticking to the first person and sticking to Kinch and like just moving along in his mind, it never stops being that whimsical funniness that I I believe is why Eames is so tied to this. And Eames also gave a glowing review of this book. Uh, Holy hell, this book is awesome! Is on the cover from that's a endorsement from Nicholas. I could Eames. see Eames loving this book for sure. Oh yeah, for sure. I could see him being a big fan, and rightfully so because he's got a similar thing where he's not afraid of a. A penis joke here or there and he's not afraid of just being funny and writing something that's cool for entertainment in your fantasy world so i get that i get that but he does kind of stand alone it's an interesting mix and i guess that that's the best you can do while shouting like some of the most popular authors in the genre like that's a pretty good one but i don't know he stands kind of on his own here he does, yeah, because it's like he's got that dry, uh, like dry ability to go like cynical with things that Abercrombie has for sure, mm-hmm. and he has that, I guess it that wit that I associate with Abercrombie too. But I do think it is more in your face in the humor, uh, which leans a little bit more toward kings of the wild which is i think a little bit more blatant in the use of its humor a little more theatrical i guess but then it's almost got these inspirations that you do see from someone like rothfuss where like the only thing i could compare the the use of like almost like it's like a one-man show yes right you see you imagine like buhlman up there doing the voice of kinch and giving this whole show 
it's like Quoth is a very different character in the King Killer Chronicle. Mm-hmm. Ralph, this is a, mm-hmm. a famous series, but it is that idea that you could really imagine just like one person or one character just putting on a hell of a show for you and telling their story in their own unique voice in a way no one else could. And I get that from Quoth, of course. And when you listen to the audiobook, Nick Podell, you could imagine him just, he is Quoth, Mm -hmm. like just standing up and telling you that story the way Quoth does. Uh, And then in this book by uh, Buellman, you actually get the author himself who like to me is Kinch yeah. putting on that one man show <laughs> for sure for sure it, it's that's well said and I think that first person a la the um Patrick Rothfuss kind of nailed home what I was trying to figure out for sure yeah it's it's interesting because right off the bat I guess Rothfuss seemed like a like almost a surprising inspiration for Buellman to list. I think I saw Abercrombie a little bit easier in there. Mm. But then, yeah, when you think about this use of the storytelling first person narrative and having a fantastic storyteller, like addressing, in this case, the reader directly in the King Killer Chronicle, it feels like they're addressing the reader directly. But obviously, Quoth is... Uh, addressing the chronicler there to write down his story, but it, mm-hmm. it produces the same effect, just with mm-hmm. totally different characters. I also think it's... I could go back to its poetry. Like, Rothfuss's writing is super poetic. Mm. Abercrombie's is not. And Christopher Buellman's is. And it's poetic, but it's not like... And then I, like pulled in the moon and tried to claim her it's something ridiculous (laughs) half the time you know i'm gonna pull open another random page here oh oh this is from when kinch and malk were fighting to the death i should have known you'd fight like this it's fit for goblins no honor never had it never claimed it i said coward guilty slipper as in slipped the muster (laughs) guilty effing biter that meant goblin I knew that's what he meant, but in my pain and exhaustion, it struck me angry because I'd passed up more than one opportunity to bite him. I could have had his <laughs> nose off or an ear or a chunk of his neck a dozen times, so to hell with him. I bit him. I bit the shite out of him. <laughs> he yelled and drooled more, so started funny. biting my arm in return. <laughs> it's, like, it's so funny. He's it's so funny, funny but it's That's poetic. a particularly great part, I think, too. <laughs> yeah, but it, it is like you say, right? It's like if you take some of this Rothfuss ability to write prose, but you you remove all the, like, <laughs> I don't know how to describe it, like this desire to make everything, like, romantic, I guess. Like, there's a romantic feeling to Abercrombie's book. I don't just mean that to Rothfuss, in the too. sense of, uh, uh, oh, jeez, I said Abercrombie. I meant Rothfuss. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there's this romantic feeling, like you're saying, where... Uh, Quoth is telling these stories about the moon or the way that he speaks about Denna and all this stuff. It's tragic. And there's this like pragmatism to the way that uh, you'll see even similar situations where the way Kinch feels about Norgal is almost similar to the way that Quoth feels about Denna. Like there is that same, <laughs> I guess like uh, almost like, cause he has this almost like, he, the way he speaks about her is almost like worship, you know? Mm. But he's 
it's in Kinch's voice and he can't really, <laughs> he doesn't really express it with the same level of, uh, I guess, romance. It's a little crass, more crass, as we've said, and it's more pragmatic and, and I would say realistic, too. Absolutely. It's kind of a different tone, but with the same kind of skill and attention to detail. Say something about, say one thing about Christopher Buhlman. When he writes his scat and piss lines, he puts a lot of thought into them and works that phrase and turns it around just right and calls back to it and wraps it up at the end. And he sent you home with a lesson. And that's artistry right there. Not easy to do. And the fact that you're willing to commit your artistry to like that kind of humor is it's beautiful it is beautiful charles well you read that hilarious line from the fight between malk and kinch and i have to bring up something that's really cool in this book the use of of monsters we've Mm. talked about this a few times recently like monsters are coming back Oh, it's yeah. a monster renaissance here. <laughs> and this is the Black Tongue Thief is no exception to like bringing those monsters back. You got to love when like a kraken can just come out of nowhere and start wreaking havoc on the sh- while they're on the ship and it just makes the like the epicness of this story even greater. It's so exciting when that stuff happens. You got krakens you've got giants you've got like these sort of like demon things i guess it was like a golem and it's yeah and supposedly elves giants and of course yes and of course goblins who eat people's flesh and it's it's really exciting and those kind of things they always feel when they're done this well it's like a love letter to the fantasy genre because monsters are such a crucial part of its history and there's a while where things i would say almost following george even though george of course has has his own like monsters i guess you could say but at least like mythical creatures in there uh following george it it felt like there's this a lot of people using a lot less monsters Dragons, of course, are always a mainstay, so you'll you'll see them all the time. But I I think we, like we've been underusing some of these like creatures like krakens in the genre. It's so great to see them used here for sure. And it's not like it has to be a book about krakens. It's like we went out to sea at one point in this odyssey, and the kraken was there. You know, it's it's you can your book can be fun. You can put as many monsters in it as you want. You don't have to like make it about that and they don't have to be suspense and mythical and all these other things they can just be creatures in your world and i agree that the the way he uses them is so funny i kind of remember it was like so interestingly put when they're on the island and they see the goblin ship and then the goblins are like breaching and he goes uh, I saw my first goblin. <laughs> I was like, what an interesting <laughs> thought to have when you're like uh, in fear of your life. But there's something like novel about that and it's fun and it adds to the adventure aspect of this story, which I think has gone underpraised in 
this book. I mean, they call it a journey of a lifetime, but I would more say like an odyssey of an adventure. Like it, it does have that feel to it. He, in this tiny book, he goes through a whole lot of different environments and and settings and encounters all kinds of exotic creatures and and cultures and it's it's are really and honest can can i just say also it's like the perfect length for a fantasy book yeah can i just say how perfect the length of this book was it's like barely 400 pages and you're like mwah beautiful does not overstay its welcome does not stay on one plot line or character or scene for too long like the book moves 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 ends just in time beautiful beautiful skill that takes real restraint and finesse to pull off i feel like someone puts like all right a thousand page giant chihuahua killer and it's like you don't have to do that you can write a 400 page barely in my hardcover masterpiece I totally agree, Charles. I think it's an interesting idea, right? Because you talked about how much ground gets covered in this book, juxtaposed against the book being relatively short for a fantasy Mm -hmm. novel. And how does he do that? I think, A, it's it's about simplicity, both in being character-focused, and it's like, this is really Kinch's story. We get Galva... We get Norgal, but really this is Kinch's story more than anything. And we also, what I really like is the straightforward plot in the sense that like, it's very clear what their motivation is. And except before Kinch really knows what his motivation is. Yeah. like, <laughs> But in terms of once we know his motivation and he finds out it himself, uh, it is, it's one thing. Right, they're going to go uh, try to save Maria, who's the queen of Espanthia, mm-hmm. and then that just gives Buellman the freedom to say, "Okay, they're doing this. What kind of obstacles do I want to put in their way, and how can I make this an enjoyable, as you say, Charles Odyssey mm-hmm. for these characters?" And he has so much freedom to work there because it's not all of this complex politicking or whatever although there is kind of with the guilds and this and that sure but we're not privy to those conversations playing out no and i think that is what's beautiful about this because we're telling kinch's story and all that stuff is of course happening around him but we don't have to be sitting there in the small council chamber every time that like the guild is deciding what they're going to do and how they're going to react to the queen and blah, blah, blah. It's like, eh, that's secondary to just telling this awesome tale. And I think it benefits a lot by doing that. Like we, we look, we love those things. We love a song of ice and fire. And that is so much about that. But I mean, we just got off it's reading nice. Oathbringer, where how many times did they have oh, the yeah. war meetings to talk about the plot and what was happening? And, I mean, that book exists for that reason. Like, that's what makes those books good, but it also is what makes them 1,400 pages long. So, yeah, restraint is not Sanderson's uh, strong suit. Right. He has a lot of great strengths, Brandon Sanderson, mm-hmm. uh, in the Stormlight Archive definitely features many of them but there are times when you're reading that 1200 page book 
where you're thinking, you know what? Did we need this scene? And that never happens in The Black Tongue Thief. There's not a single scene that I would cut out from this book. I mean, I enjoyed all of it. I totally agree. I think you nailed it in terms of like keeping the like main plot simple, keeping it focused on one POV first person. I also want to give credit to, you know, how many times do authors talk about the skill of show don't tell? Christopher Buhlman is the like master of showing. I, I even like there's a scene I remember where they're in the goblin prison and, you know, that horrible scene is about to happen without saying anything. All he says is like, and then like what happened next made me hate goblins and anyone who lives with goblins can bugger off or something. He obviously wrote it much better than that. I couldn't find the quote, but I remember the line you're talking about though, where he's like, he's basically saying anyone who like tries to defend goblins, like I won't listen to a word of it now because of what I've seen. And I'll, I'll see if I can find it. And how much more powerful is saying something like that than going on and on and on about how bad goblins are and then them having a conversation. Like imagine Kinch and Norigal having a conversation later about it. And then Kinch being like, and I hate goblins after what we've been through. And anyone like who's it was out of them is horrible. It's like, no, we didn't have to set up a conversation. We didn't have to make it write a scene. We just had a moment in the narration that was so eloquent and said more than its words, which Buhlman is doing almost every sentence. Like he invokes images and emotions and he implies plot points and directions and tones so well and in so few words that it's it's kind of his skill i think it's an underrated skill this ability to um, be able to put you in a scene and put you in a mood with a character driven line of prose like that is the goal that is the dream for at least for me as someone who loves both characters and and prose to, to be able to be like oh my gosh that was beautifully beautifully done and i feel like we don't get that in so many fantasy books because the focus is on world building and and everything like that which i love and that's great and those are great for that reason but so refreshing to get a story that can evoke emotion and tone so fast while also at the same time develop your character skill 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 so much skill charles Mm -hmm. and i i think i've found the quote here it's gonna be a tough one for ftf's (laughs) family friendly rating (laughs) you know i'm gonna say yeah (laughs) yeah having some trouble with this one much like we had with the lies of Locke lamora while keeping how do you get that book across? that's another worthy comparison right but i'll i'll use the the letter f to describe (laughs) a four-letter word that starts with f that i'm sure you're all familiar with let's hear and yeah it's um uh, I'll, st- I'll start here. One of his teeth cut me just the tiniest bit, a goblin, obviously, and he rubbed salt grains and a little bit of blood that came out, fingered it up, and went back to his steam-making, licking that finger like it was the best finger in the world. F him, F all goblins forever, and F any who make peace with them. If you don't yet understand why, heed the next bit, heed it, and know it to be true. 
and that's just... And that's just, the end of the chapter, like, right? That's the end of the chapter. So then you know go going on. into the next chapter, so like, it's like, this oh, is going to be some stuff. This is <laughs> going to be brutal. Yeah, and it yeah. was. And I think it's that... I think he... He probably brings that in from his horror background, that ability to build suspense, mm-hmm. where you you just don't see that to the same extent in fantasy usually, where it's like uh, you really get to get people. It's not quite like, it's not terror. It's not quite horror, any of that, mm-hmm. although it's definitely gruesome and like tough to read, as you said earlier. But he, I think, uses that skill where it's mm-hmm. like, there's so much done by saying like what he just said there. It's like, yeah, here it comes. This is going to be brutal. Yeah. And he delivers on it, of course, mm-hmm. with that scene. Although that, it's really interesting with the singing. It's almost like cinematic, right? You could, yeah, very. You could really imagine that scene. And, oh, and props to Christopher Buellman for his singing in the narration of the audiobook. I mean, that is... Right. That's another thing he's bringing back into Vogue is is the songs, right? That's that yeah. Tolkien. I was like, wow, he legit like, has Tolkien esque songs. Has songs. In here. Yeah. And you know, he does thank Tolkien, and we kind of underserve that. Tolkien has a bit of horror in his in, in his own way, where he's talking about like the drums, the drums in the deep, they're coming mm-hmm. and they're reading like the journal of a corpse in this chamber that the fellowship are locked in, you know, that's kind of scary and is a way of building suspense and letting you know you're in a spooky scene without telling you because it's all done through the characters and like the setting. So there's similar things there and the music, like how many times have we had these wonderful line breaks? And another reason to listen to the audiobook is so that you know, how the Bully Boy song goes. <laughs> That's very important. <laughs> I'm glad I caught that on the audiobook. So you know when to go, rah, rah, Bully Boy, rah. <laughs> <I'm> just, <laughs> I do that all the time now. And I just am like, want to shout something. That's what I've been shouting lately. <laughs> You've been shouting, rah, rah, Bully Boy, rah? I mean, not in public, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Your, your poor fiance, Charles. Your poor fiance. <laughs> yeah it's true (laughs) it's uh that is a a really interesting throwback though the songs because and i'll say songs in fantasy can drive me nuts like the songs Mm -hmm. in in the original lord of the rings books were really difficult for me to get through those you those you kind of skip i i skip those (laughs) i'm not gonna lie yeah but yeah, and I recommend doing the same unless you're like a real a real Tolkien head. Mm-hmm. But Buellman songs that do not skip, and if anything, we need like a full album. <laughs> we need the songs just back to back to back, and we need a Spotify playlist at the very least. Charles. Mm-hmm. And it's not just like a Hobbit standing up in the middle of dinner and singing like a right. three page song, and everyone's like. It's just a random thing to do. They're actually <laughs> happening whether they're trying to like muffle the noises of goblins eating somebody or whether they're drunk at a bar or, you know, and they sing that song and then the cat comes in and then now the cat is named Bully Boy. And yep. um, Bully Boy the cat it makes uh, frequent appearances 
And yeah, no, the, the songs were great. I never thought someone could get me to like fantasy songs, uh, but this is a great, a great showing for fantasy songs, and maybe they'll come back in vogue. Maybe they will. And you mentioned Bully Boy, the cat, inspired by a cat that Bielman himself. Cool, yeah, it's sad, though. Is he, he actually had a, a blind cat come to his doorstep in 2015. And yeah, he he absolutely loved that cat, it sounds like. And mm. unfortunately, a cat only lived a few years, but he is immortalized in this book. And isn't that just uh, nice? A cat has a legacy forever, Charles. Luther, I believe. And yes, Luther. Yes. That, that's in the acknowledgments. He goes... Lastly, to Luther, he showed up on my doorstep in the summer of 2015 and rowed to be let in. He was a handsome boy, but sickly, with only a few short years to give. Though he, his eyes didn't work, I had been the blind one and had never loved a cat. He taught me a few things about that, and there's a picture of the cat. So sweet. Oh, so cute. <laughs> it's kind of a silly yeah. picture. The cat's kind of like wide-eyed. But no, I, I love Bully Boy. <laughs> And I'm glad that they were able to work Bully Boy in in a way that, like, okay, there's a reason why he keeps coming back and is indestructible. <laughs> like, it, it's, yeah. it's not like, oh, isn't it funny that the blind cat just keeps popping up? Like, isn't that hilarious? Which I think this book could have totally gotten away with doing and would have been fun. But the fact that it's, like part of the narrative that you have an assassin hiding in there to kind of keep tabs on uh, Kinch is mm. funny. Keep tabs. Like a tabby cat. You got that? Tabby. That yeah. was intentional. Was that on purpose? <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, that's a, that's the kind of content you're going to get from Charles on the Friends Talking Fantasy podcast and no one else from <laughs> no other podcast. Those, those cat puns. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's... Yeah, I think... It's a good recommendation for cat companion fans. Like, which is interesting. It's like coming into vogue also now. Like, The First Binding, also a book by R.R. Verdi, which was a pretty popular book. Very Kinkiller Chronicle esque, that one. And that one was published in 2022. Also has a cat companion that features heavily in like the back half of the book. So it's. Mm. I don't know. I feel like there might be another one that came out relatively recently that did it too, but I I can't remember. Either way, interesting. And I think cat fans rejoice because mm. there's a lot to love for you in the Black Tongue Thief. Cat fans rejoice indeed. And um, yeah, I think like these last lines where he's like, I'll keep carrying you for a bit, but if you shite on me, <laughs> it's over. I told Billy. He didn't reply. So bully, I said, are we going to be killed in the giant lands? He said nothing. Would you like to see Galtia someday? Nothing. Well, he wasn't much at prophecy, but I was glad all the same for his warmth and goodwill. You know, it's like that's sweet. You know, it's, and Charles, you do a good, you do a good kinch. Well, I listened I to, to him for hours. Maybe I picked up a little bit. I more. know, but I listened to him for hours and I could <laughs> not. Like, I'm not going to embarrass myself by trying. You that's need a good the kinch. reckless abandoned, and even then, I knew I'm. You know, yeah, you know, Buhlman stands alone. You've been well. You've been practicing. You've been singing by yourself. Ra, ra, in that accent, so. 
<laughs> yeah, any more of that and we're going to get sued. So you, you got about one verse you're allowed to do on the podcast without paying. But uh, Charles, I think we'd be remiss not to talk at least some about Galva, mm-hmm. who's a character that I, you know... They're the only character besides Kinch that really gets mentioned in like the back of the book style description. Mm-hmm. And she's also going to be the main character of an upcoming prequel. I don't know if you knew that, Charles. I did not know that. Uh, of, yeah. So I the way I heard it was that he, Buellman, went out to write a sequel and he found that there were too many unanswered questions he had about Galva as a character and he decided okay I guess I'm going back and I'm writing a prequel you know that she's a survivor of the Goblin Wars we're probably going to get some of that and that's going to be the next yes we're going to get that's the next installment we're going to get in this world, which which bums me out in some ways. Obviously, I'll I'll read it. I'll read anything Buhlman puts out in the fantasy genre because I love this book. But ugh, I'm gonna miss Kinch. Yeah, me and too. yeah, so it's uh, that part's a bummer. But I'm sure it'll be great. And Galva's uh, a great character, but almost Gal- like is the straight man or straight woman, I guess, to Kinch. Exactly. So. I don't know, maybe Buhlman can add a sort of, like, another funny character or whatever to bounce off off of Galva. Mm. But, yeah, I just figured we should we should chat Galva a little bit. I think I left the book kind of feeling the same way it sounds like Buhlman felt when he went to write this sequel. It's like, Galva's intriguing. Like, there's this almost, like, cryptic aspect to her as a character it's like we just don't know that much about her and there's just like multiple times where there are these reveals that's like oh wow there's so much more than meets the eye to character Mm -hmm. but meanwhile that can also leave you feeling like there's not as much development as you might like for the only other character that really like i guess gets advertised as like a part of the book right because i always i remember i asked you in the friends pitching fantasy episode i'm like oh so it sounds like it's this like misfits like kinch and galva uh best friends forever 100 years kinch and galva (laughs) like (laughs) i'm like cringing at myself for making a rick and morty reference now Uh, especially these days yeah these days uh, the fan base has taken a hit in their reputation. I'm not even caught up on Rick and Morty, and obviously, uh, we don't, we don't condone the actions of one of its producers, who's now uh, no longer affiliated with it. But all that aside, actors, yeah, yeah, uh, the voice actor of both Rick and Morty, who mm-hmm. like I almost I don't know all the details of what he did, but it sounds like did some extremely messed up things. Um, either way. That, was that joke worth it? Probably not. <laughs> Probably not if it derailed the conversation that much. I get what you're trying to much. say, though, because even okay, in the book... Okay, can I finish? Yes, yes I'm going to finish. So, okay. Uh, point being, I asked you, like, oh, do we get any comments from reviews that you've read or anything about, like, these two characters as being, like, one of the best duos in fantasy, the way that we always get with Locke and Jean mm-hmm. in Lies of Locke And you said, ah, I wasn't really seeing much of that. And I I get it because it feels more like a fellowship than a duo, for sure. And 
I don't know. They don't really have that back and forth at the level of the the great duos. And Galva doesn't get the level of development that a character like Jean gets in The Lies of Lacomora. So, right. uh, yeah, Charles, your thoughts? My thought is, you know, I'm kind of the same way. I was I was reading, you know, before we read the book, and I was working on my pitch to you for it, and I was reading the description. It's funny going back to that description now, and I'm like, is that really what this book was about and it totally it's, agree it's something like but today kinch nishanik has picked the wrong mark galva is a knight blah 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 searching for a queen miss, missing which is all true but it says unsuccessful in his robbery and lucky to escape with his life kinch now finds his fate entangled with galva's common enemies blah 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 and honors a luxury it's few like can technically afford. true i mean like that's what happened but it's not like he tried to rob someone and then they kind of forced him into this crazy adventure because she's you know this powerful uh supernatural type person not quite the mark i thought you know and i guess that you know how many times is the cover ever right when trying to well um, yeah represent something as nuanced as a fantasy book right yeah, the back of the book is not typically written by the author. And then it says, author, the smallest mistake could book. become your biggest adventure. It's like, that's not really... I've really what felt mistake? that ever since we read this book. Yeah, well, the mistake was trying to rob but Galva, he's a thief. I guess. Like, it's he's like... going to rob people. The mis- <laughs> there was no yeah. mistake. Like, he survived, and then well, he went back to her and got her to convince the wrong him person. to... But he was the one that convinced her to let him tag along. Yeah. Like, they should have yeah, said no, something I'm not like, arguing for it. Kinch just, just couldn't help himself and, like, you know, something like that. You, you'd get the sense of, like, here's a guy who's, like, tempting fate all the time and making the best of it or something. But, yeah, your thoughts. Yeah, I've just felt uh, this kind of where I was trying to lead this conversation too with the Galva talk. I feel like this book is like just not really advertised in the way I would choose to, Mm -hmm. I guess. And I need to like stop and actually, obviously, it's not my job to advertise this book or like be, I'm not as publicist or as AJ or whatever. Like, uh, but I, I came away like loving this book, but not for the reasons I was expecting to going in based mm-hmm. on the way that it's advertised, I guess. And I think, yeah, there's there's just got to be a better way to put it. If anything, I feel like Norigal was like a more featured character in this book than Galva was, or at least yeah. like got more development than Galva. And Norgal is not mentioned at all. Uh, the idea that you were talking about the, of this, like, it's an epic adventure. Like, this isn't really, like, quest fantasy. Yeah, you don't sense. want to invite like people looking for quest fantasy and then surround yeah. them with shite jokes and brutal horror moments and all that. Yeah. And even the Kings of the Wild comparisons, like, I, we've made some ourselves, of course, but it's just, like... I don't know. So much more. It's like dirtier. (laughs) It's like dirtier. It's grimier. (laughs) Like it's, I don't know. Eames is like hilarious, but he's kind of sillier, 
I feel like the, not that this isn't silly, but and it's he's like, way more PG thirteen. Yes, exactly. That's I guess what I'm trying to get at. Like there are things that happen in this book that would never ever come close to happening in the Nicholas Eames book, at least in Kings of the Wild. Who knows what Eames might produce in the future? But yeah, it's just I don't come away like. Like, oh, I'm going to recommend this to all Kings of the Wild fans. No, like, no, if, no. Yeah, that's that's not where I'm coming away from this. I'd sooner recommend it to an Abercrombie fan yeah, than I would. I'd sooner recommend uh, it to a Scott Lynch fan. I'd sooner, Definitely. Because Lynch will go there sometimes with the yeah. violence and the assaults and all that kind of stuff. He'll, he'll go there and... Abercrombie will go there too, but I mean, Buhlman goes way further than either of them. But at least Lynch can curse like a master. Does Buhlman go right up way there. further than Abercrombie? I mean, I don't think I would say that. With the whole being eaten alive stuff and the whole like R word Abercrombie stuff. is like detailed torture scenes. He is detailed torture scenes. Different. That's fair. That's fair. I don't think Buhlman goes way farther, just in a different direction. Uh, he goes maybe the same distance as Abercrombie. But yeah, yeah I mean, he, the point being, something like Kings of the Wild, I need to know a few more things about what you're interested in and what you're okay with before I start going toward like, oh, you got to read The Black Tongue Thief. Right. Uh, like, yeah, like you said, if you love Liza Locke-Lamora, I'm a little more comfortable. Like, okay, yeah, this you'll be able to handle the stuff that's happening in this book. And, of course, you love the rogue characters. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I think it's just people kind of grouping recent fantasy that's funny, but also not, like, Terry Pratchett funny, where, like, the plot doesn't matter and... Mm. Like, and I mean, you have even Eames give, giving full blurbs and raving on this book. So I see that. I, I will give it credit. The book is beautiful. Like the title's great. The jacket is gorgeous. It's got a. They've picked the perfect authors to combine in terms of like piquing my interest anyway with Hob, Abercrombie, Eames. Glenn Cook, Brent Weeks, you know, and even one of these other authors said fans of Lies of Locke Lamora will love this one. So they did a good job of of invoking, even though I wouldn't say any of them are like as direct of a comparison as the book is implying, I would say they're all fair game and all in the mix. And it's a very tempting mix as well. So it does that for me. But the blurb itself, like... It, it it talks like these two people had this unlikely collision and now they're being pulled on an adventure. It's like, not really. I mean, this is a guy who's in student debt, basically, and has to commit <laughs> crimes. Like, that that's, would be a much more interesting, but maybe too satirical um, kind of explanation of what's happening here this really is a story about the, how evil student debt is by the way i don't know if you picked up on that <laughs> but <laughs> i guess i thought about it briefly i don't know if i would quite say it's a story about that but going on on the topic we we're just talking about the cover also features 
just two people walking together and of course bully boy in the back Mm -hmm. so again like that's that's not an image that i'm thinking about when i'm thinking about this book like i'm thinking about kinch and galva and norgal and malk weirdly like all together or i don't know it could have been any number of people on the ship or anything like that there's so many other people who are like central parts of this so i don't know i don't understand why it's pitched like it's this buddy cop like yeah. odd couple yeah thing when that's not all what it is I mean, he was you're right i think she was a warrior uh, <laughs> who worshiped the goddess of death <laughs> An unlikely kind of crazy duo. shenanigans. <laughs> yeah, what might this unlikely duo adventure. get up to? Yeah, and it's like that's oh, that's the antics of Kinch and uh, Galva. Yeah, you know it. You know it's... Tom and Jerry, um, Royce and Adrian, Kinch and Galva. <laughs> I don't think Tom and Jerry had the kind of relationship you think they had, Charles. <laughs> Just that they're an you iconic think Tom and duo. Jerry are like, sure, sure. Name <laughs> name a better duo. I'll wait. Tom mm-hmm. and Jerry. I think that it's it's just an odd thing. But I I think you're right when you say the right authors are being evoked. Yes. Even if not necessarily always for the reasons that we would we would mention them for but they're definitely kind of the people in the sphere and it's a testament to buhlman's writing and how unique his story and unique his voice is that like you struggle to really make the necessary comparisons or really get across like what is this about who is this for because it's different. It's different than anything we've seen before. So you, you grasp at like, oh, well, you might like thieves. You might like rogues. You might like that like dry comedic wit of Joe Abercrombie. Uh, you might like that funny style that Eames has. It's like you're kind of grasping at all of that. And somewhere in the middle of all of it, you've got a fantastic novel that is unlikely to let anyone down anyway. What, that is truly well said. I think you're trying to compare something unique to like shout lines that audiences would find recognizable. And so you have to kind of make a few. Um, you just kind of have to do your best with that. And then, then look, this book succeeded. It, it caught our attentions and we picked it over many others and we loved it. So um, it was well done in that regards. Um I guess, you know, we're, we're nearing our time here. I want to make sure we have time to discuss anything else in particular that came up on your reading journey of a lifetime, as the back of the book says. Um, if there's anything else you wanted to make sure we mentioned in this episode. I'll just say I think it's interesting the threads that he chose to leave hanging. Mm. I guess he... He knew that there were going to be more stories left in this world. I think that this book works as a standalone, but there's all these mysteries that are still yet to uncover. Right. Uh, and I'd, I'd really like eventually, I know I, I'm in Buhlman, we're trusting here yeah. uh, that the prequel is, is the choice that makes sense next. But I, I really want a sequel. I want to move forward from here because there's there's so much more to tell and, and we need more kinch. It's a lot, it's gonna be 
it's going to be bittersweet having an installment without him. So, mm-hmm. yeah, moving forward, I'll read that prequel for sure. Yes. And I, I can't wait for hopefully that sequel does end up coming out once he's he's sufficiently answered the questions he has left about Galva. That's well said. I kind of remember you asking me, is this a standalone or part of a series? And even having not read it, I was like, I can kind of tell that this was... And I think you had said this phrase, a standalone with sequel potential. Like, that's kind of how you mark, like, yeah. how new authors kind of have market their books these days as a way to, like, get out there in front of new readers. Say, hey, it's only one book and you can read it and it's good. But hopefully I get you hooked and you want to read more and more and more. And I think that's this book in a nutshell. Like, it's like a perfect standalone. And I think it's, you know, listed as a standalone. Although I've seen now. In parentheses, Black Tongue One. I don't know if that's actually the name. Like Black Tongue is the name of the series, but um, we'll see. But yeah, I, that would be interesting. There's way too many. The next book does not include the Black Tongue Thief himself. It's supposed to be called The Daughter's War. Hmm. Is yeah. So, so and. Buhlman said, I'm a slow writer, be patient, and I'll try to craft you something worthy. So mm. we'll be patient. That absolutely. And, and I can tell that, you know, you have to put some time and thought, even though you're writing scat jokes at times and other things, you get being silly. I can tell he puts a lot of thought into this and a lot of editing and a lot of refinement to get to a voice like this one in as few pages as this one like even i guess the prose i would compare it most directly to is rothfuss and rothfuss's books are huge like this book is way smaller so yeah i can see and rothfuss you know as we all know it takes a long time to to craft each book and you know, we respect no not rothfuss <laughs> What am, what am I talking about? Out quick. Hopefully he'll take faster than <laughs> Rothfuss. And given his publication history <laughs> so far, I think he stands a good chance of doing that. Um, but, you know. If I he think needs, he's underselling and he'll over-deliver. I, I, th- I think so as well. It can be hard to follow up something that got, like, you know, Nicholas Eames says, holy hell, this book is awesome. It's like, at one point, that's great, but the second point is like, well, thanks, Nicholas. Now I have to write something that's just as awesome again next time. Like, how do I beat, holy hell, this book is awesome. How do you beat that? I don't know. But I... I yeah, maybe Eames will say, holy hell, this book is even more awesome. Ooh. Or they'll just do the thing that they always do with these kind of books and just repeat the same praise. Yeah. And it'll say, holy like, hell, this book is awesome. praise Nicholas for Eames. the Black Tongue yeah. <laughs> series, you know. And right, I right. have a feeling, holy hell, this book is awesome, is going to make another feature. Or you um, could get like a another really cover. vague, like he probably barely glanced at a George R. R. Martin endorsement. Like, Buhlman is a strong writer. <laughs> yeah, I think we've kind of... There's a time there, Charles, where it felt like that was every single fantasy book. Like, right when the Game of Thrones show was biggest, it was like, the way that you try to sell a book is just a vague... George R. R. Martin called it George a book. R. R. Martin quote. <laughs> yes, George R. R. Martin noted, this is a fantasy book. And... George R. R. Martin noted be, Christopher Buhlman be bigger seems than the title nice. of the book, you know, bigger than the author name. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> Just trying to trick people into buying a book they think it has George as the author. 
because like, George R. R. Martin is written so large on the cover. <laughs> right. But I think we have moved away from the vague George R. R. Martin uh, like tagline mm. for books, and we've moved toward the like, like you were talking about, Charles. Grab folks who are kind of in that sphere. Uh, Brent Weeks in this one. Nicholas that Eames. Anthony review, Ryan is in magazine. There. Glenn Cook. Yeah, Grimdark Magazine's on here. It's like, you grab all those. I actually think it's way better how this is done now because it's not that I'm really reading what the people are saying, per se, because it's like, you know, every once in a while you get something cool, like, holy hell, this book is awesome. You're like, okay, Nick wouldn't say that. I mean, we know Nick from our interview. No, well, we did interview him, but uh, um, Nick wouldn't show. say that if, a friend of the show, he wouldn't say that if this book wasn't awesome, uh, but... Then again, more what I'm doing when I look at a book, I'm like glancing at the authors and I'm kind of placing it like, okay, what kind of book is this? And they actually seem to be doing a pretty good job. I feel like I can look at most books and which authors are like are providing quotes and more so that than what they're saying and say, oh, this is that kind of book. And I think, yeah, you see that with something like this where you're like okay it's definitely got some grim dark leanings for sure um but it's also funny right hence the eames i think it's a grim dark world but with a character that refuses to participate in the grim dark nature of the world that he's in you know sometimes you have the opposite where it's like the epic fantasy world but then the character is grim dark and he's like i'll betray you (laughs) like i don't care like i don't need to be good all the time or i don't need to want to save you or this or that like whether it's like no i'm choosing to love and make people laugh and have fun and you know go a little bit out of my way to be silly and like challenge myself to be clever and this that and the other even though all these characters are trying to eat them or kill them or um assault him or something it's like no i'm going to continue to persevere through it and i think that's the interesting mix here so is that grimdark probably yes but it's very it feels modern you know it feels like a trend that i like to see yeah it does and kinch is interesting because you you do have to call him a morally gray protagonist for sure yes and he's a thief and there are some moments or things he does that things. he's yeah. he's realistic about these things. Like he's not like so honorable that no, he's not going to fight Malk to the death for basically no reason or whatever. But he's also not so dark and like cynical that he's not going to grab onto Malk and try his hardest to like pull him back during the tug like, of war. Does that scene where he stabs and the guy in the rowboat when they're escaping the Kraken, where he just sees that moment to kill somebody? Yes. But it wasn't... Uh, that guy poisoned... Uh, right. It wasn't malicious. I don't think he's boy. particularly... Mali- no, he poisoned Galva because Galva was going to fight oh. Malk. And, and then um, uh, that person handed Galva like a bottle that was poisoned, I think. So she couldn't fight in the duel of ah, death yes. the next day. And so right. Kinch had to fight instead. I think that was that guy. Yes. N- no, that's that's right. 
Mm-hmm. I was confusing it with like bully boy got like thrown overboard. Uh, oh yeah, around that. No, time. I think I think Malk was the one who threw Billy Boy over, or maybe it was okay. the captain. That was a funny scene because <laughs> because you, yeah. you just knowing that that assassin yeah. was in there too, like trying <laughs> right. to escape, and it's like oh, didn't have enough time, and something like yeah, why would they let a cat stay on the ship for that long? Um, although I've right. read that sometimes they had cats on ships to catch mice, and it was good luck or whatever. Oh, but, that makes sense. But uh, I've also heard that. This, this is the like shipping life podcast. Charles and <laughs> I've also heard, or like animals on ships podcast. Mm. I've also heard like, I think it was like sea, not sea turtle, tortoises. I think it was mm. like that were very common on ships. Uh, oh, I don't know. They would because in the ship. Yeah, there's something about in the ship. They would like eat. Yeah, this is like during the whaling times. I think they would take tortoises on the ships because, and they would like. They would eat them. I'm sorry. And it's something with like how their bodies can store water and they also don't have to like a a tortoise can like not eat for a year. And back then, because their metabolisms are so slow, mm-hmm. this is like also possibly completely untrue. So <laughs> fact check me before you quote me. But yeah, I'm pretty sure tortoises, their metabolisms are like so slow <laughs> that they cannot eat for like a year. So you just take them out on the ship with you i think back then they literally yeah they thought that tortoises didn't eat (laughs) like (laughs) or like didn't have to eat or something like that (laughs) so they would take them and they basically like eat them because you could just you could keep this live keep them alive for three months and then eat them and you don't have to feed them so they're kind of exactly fuel efficient (laughs) livestock yes you know i choose to believe that that's true and i bet it is Yep. You can take that to I the bank. To believe. <laughs> take it to the bank. And, you know, while you're at the bank, you're going to want to grab a few bucks to go out and buy the prequel when Ooh, it comes what out. What the name of the coins that he loves? Ah, I don't remember. The, the galleons or something? I don't know. I'm gonna oh, God. Now that I've said this, I've <laughs> but his favorite coin, the something silver something. <laughs> Yes, the owl- you're gonna want to grab it. The owlet. That sounds right. The silver yeah. owlet, but it was a particular silver owlet. Version. That sounds right. Either way, you're gonna want to grab a few silver owlets, owlets, and save those for the prequel. Who knows when that's coming out? But when it does, I'm sure you're gonna be hearing from us again, and mm-hmm. I'm I'm excited to to check that out when it comes out. I'm excited to hear from any of you folks who've read The Black Tongue Thief. If you want to chat with us, we're excited to, like, you know, you'll have the option to do that on social media. We'll give our, our we'll give our accounts in a second. But, yeah, Charles, it's been, it's been a lot of fun talking about this book. It was really easy, like, hour, 20-minute yeah. uh, discussion i feel like i could talk so much more about it but i know there's it's like, uh, interesting yeah magic it's good to show some in place the interesting political implications in place but i'm sure there'll be more opportunities to talk about btf or btt black tongue thief oh i guess B-T-T. black tongue is one word um i'm not sure bt the old bt i'm I'm sure that doesn't stand for anything else important. Nope, nothing at all. So we will certainly be talking more. And I mean, Christopher Buhlman has a bunch of other books. 
in his library already. They're not fantasy, but um, they're fantasy. I, one of them seems fantasy adjacent, so who knows? You never know. But uh, and until next time, folks, I think there's nothing left to do, Dylan, but play that sweet, sweet outro music. Just get that sweet, sweet outro music pumping, Charles. All right. Thank you all so much for listening to yet another episode of the Friends Talking Fantasy Podcast. If you like what you heard today, if you want to support the show the, or say hi to us or let us know what you think about... Uh, <laughs> no, only Black support Tom us. Thief, go on to social media. Find us on Instagram at the FTF Podcast and then the FTF Podcast number one at the end for Twitter. Now, Dylan, if they like what they heard on the show and they already support us on social media and they want to do something a little bit more to give our show a nice little boost what can they do toss five stars to our podcast which you can now do on spotify that's where most of you are listening and you just need to click twice to offer us five stars right there at the top of the friends talking fantasy podcast feed and that helps us so much when you do that you can also offer us a rating and or review on apple Podcasts. but just listening is more than enough thank you so much for doing that you're right guys just listening already so much more than we could have ever hoped thank you all so so much for listening and as always just kidding guys as always (laughs) go forth and conquer friends (laughs)